season three. Jeff and Scott and Mrs. C. With Blanche and John, they crew a new movie. It's so much fun that you'll have to pee. It's gonna cure your apathy and ennui. It's the Slum Still booking ghosts on the Slum You're not getting ghosts on the Slum I was wondering if you were or not. <laughs> well, as soon as you said, oh, fuck this, I go, ooh, all right, I want to hear this. I'd rather not answer that. Ah, I just said, fuck this, and Alexa said, I'd rather not answer that. <laughs> I thought that was Mary for a second. No, no Mary would have no problem answering that. Hello, Feliz Navidad, Buenos Aires, and welcome to another edition of the Slum Gullion, America's only podcast. I am Jeff. Three hours behind me is Scott. Although maybe it's two or one. I don't know. Daylight savings happened yesterday. And because people, is that still a thing? I mean, I know it's still a thing, but now like some states are saying they don't want it to be a thing. How can we mess with time that way? Given that its agrarian utility is all but obsolete, why do we still have daylight savings time? Who benefits from it getting dark an hour earlier? I'll tell you who. Vampires. Which means that the U.S. Department of Transportation, which runs this whole thing, is in the pocket of big undead. And I feel there's only one solution to these these crooked politicians, graft-seeking bureaucrats, and, and the deep-pocketed lobbyists who keep them all in power. we got to drain the swamp. Except then we'd have to deal with Swamp Thing. Ah, screw it. Never mind. Forget it. Anyway, you are saying? I mean, I know some people like to spend, like, uh, this particular evening when they get the extra hour out partying. I slept. I guess I got an extra hour of sleep, but I don't know because it's so arbitrary. To quote Douglas Adams, time is an illusion, lunchtime doubly so. I hate to disagree with Douglas Adams, but lunchtime, anytime, in my opinion. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway, folks, we, we're going to bounce all over the place today. We kind of have a UMC, but it's also kind of an NMC, but we don't have the crew with us. Right, right. It's basically uh, an FUMC. <laughs> but then, as Scott likes to say, it's our show, so we can do whatever the fuck we want. So, first off, I have a, a confession that, that I need to make. Um, after our recent episode watching the, the Rebel Rousers, <laughs> which I have to, you know where I'm going with this, <laughs> which I actually found entertaining in its, and, and, and befuddled by my amusement, I decided to try and understand the whole so bad it's a good thing more. Like I said in that episode, I kind of get it now because that movie was horrible, but I, I enjoyed it. So I went back and I rewatched a quote-unquote classic So Bad It's Good movie, and I have had a completely different reaction. Why should I be enjoying this? But I don't know. Maybe it's because of the, 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 the rabble rousers butthurt that I got, but from the moment that Criswell's opening line just struck me completely different. I mean, when he said friends we are all interested in the future because that is where you and i will be spending the rest of our lives i just giggled for the first time in like 30 years of attempting to watch that movie and i've seen it like five or six times or tried to watch it five or six times i i giggled 
that whole opening narration just made me giggle. The, the the acting in it made me giggle. The famous line that they used in um, It Came From Hollywood, you know, the graveyard is out there and the UFOs are out there, but I'll be locked up in there. Now off you go to your wild blue yonder. It made me giggle. I don't know if it what connected, but like I, I, I told Scott this at one point, I was like, I would write this as a Rolling Donuts sketch. And I know that wasn't what Edward, Edward Woodward was doing, but Edward Woodward, um, no, it's equalizer. It is the equalizer. It's equalizing comedy. <laughs> ah, I, I, I get it now. I, I Now, I'm not going to watch Troll 2. I'm not going to do it. I, I flat out fucking refuse to rewatch Troll 2 again. And I I will not give Tommy Wiseau or James and Gian, oh, I'm sorry, I'll, when the light of day, but I may actually re rewatch the all of the Edward Ouvre sans um, MST3K commentary because I think I might get it now. Is this the first time you've made it all the way through Plan Nine? Yes. Oh, okay. You had you you've had a breakthrough. If that's what you want to call it, it's either a breakthrough or a breakdown. Breakdown seems more appropriate, but it's 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 I think my hatred of so bad it's good culture is lessening a little bit. Like I said, no on Troll Two, no on Tommy Wiseau, no on Birdemic, but you know, maybe I'll I might actually be able to get all the way through from Hell It Came now. Oh yeah, that took me a couple tries. I steered clear from Hell It Came for years, just because, you know, it's about a walking tree that doesn't actually walk. It's one of the most aggressively bad premises for a film. It just dares you to watch it. I watched it for Better Living Through Bad Movies. Right. As much as it may seem like we did not exercise very scrupulous editorial control, there were movies we watched all the way through and did not include just because they were so bad they weren't good and they were never going to get good. From Hell It Came was one of them See, that I utterly defeated me. However... However, I cannot say that this is an absolute hard and fast rule because another one of the films that I never made it through my write-up was Zardoz. And oh, God. Fact, you have recently done that, I believe, I have recently, you not? I recently decided to give it another shot for the sequel. And... I made it through. And did you and did you not print it? And did you not print it somewhere? Handless plug, cheap plug, cheap plug. Yes, it's it's on medium.com. It's called Zardoz Explained. There, see, I heard it. I heard it for you, Scott. There Thank you go. You. Thank you. I, I don't feel quite as cheap as I usually do after these things are over. I'm going to give everybody a, a preview of my working thesis for the sequel, which is, you know, the, the first book, there's a time-honored maxim usually delivered to the worst player on a little league team by whatever dad is coaching it you learn more from failure than you do from success so the whole the whole first book was built on the premise that well since these movies all really really failed these must be the most educational films ever made so let's derive some life lessons having turned to some of the movies i could not endure the first time and finding that in fact it's a lot easier to watch them the second time. I think movies work much the same way antibodies do. I thought you were going to say antidepressants, and I'm like, whoa, no, wait a minute. No. For instance, if you get cowpox, you can't get smallpox. So once you've been exposed to the horror of a particular bad movie, it really has much less power to affect you from then on. So my working theory for the, for the second book is I'm going to tell you about these movies. I'm going to tell you just how bad they are so that if you ever encounter them in the wild, they will not kill you. Basically, I'm trying to introduce herd immunity into the movie watching culture. 
So this time you're, you are genuinely doing a public service. While before you were teaching life lessons, this is a, I'm going to save your life. Exactly. Exactly. Things are too serious now for mere life lessons. Very true. For mere self-help books. Now it's a, everything is a matter of life and death. Besides, that's the first rule of sequels. You always have to raise the stakes. If you saved a woman's life in your first film, then you have to save all of humanity in the sequel. Here's your title, Surviving Life with Bad Movies. Ah. Ooh. All right. Jotting that down. <laughs> Using taking your thesis, you know, to the title as well. The subject matter calls for taking everything related to the book to its furthest and most absurd extreme. Because that's life today. And I mean, the one thing that I got, especially while while watching um, Plan 9, and, and I'm not going to say enjoying Plan 9, because I cannot say I enjoyed the film, because it's still not a good movie. No. It's not a good film in any way, shape, or form, and I will fight people who tell me that it is, even with the, so bad it's good. But I see the humor, and I guess this time I kind of see the earnestness that Wood was going for. Everybody talks about his earnestness shining through. Mm Mm-hmm. I get that. I mean, he wasn't making a cash grab. He wanted to be a film director. He wanted to be a writer. He had these stories burning in his soul, and he had to get them out. And then they were all, some of them were all encrusted with these weird obsessions he had about, you know, Angora and cross-dressing and thinking he had any talent. Really weird, uh, <laughs> bizarre things. Now, what Wood does for me is the same thing that the great silent clowns do, in that you're laughing at them as they suffer. Wood is the perfect example of the old axiom, comedy is someone's tragedy viewed from a distance. And that's the absolute case with Ed Wood, because he fails hilariously to achieve any of the effects he is so obviously going for, but he is going for them with such single-minded devotion that he doesn't see that he's about to get run over by a train. And once you, you get past the human impulse to yell, stop, no, don't look behind you, it's possible to enjoy the slapstick nature of his failure. I, I mean, the thing about Plan 9 is it is not in any way what some people mean today when they say a so bad it's good movie. Uh, he hired Gregory Walcott, who had a perfectly respectable career as a straight actor. That's uh, very true. TV. I mean, the movie dragged him down. Um, and let's not forget the appropriately named Dudley Manlove. Dudley Manlove, yes. Never was a man more appropriately named. And uh, I believe that was his real name. That's the hilarious thing. Yeah, I don't think So Bad It's Good works if it's... The earnestness is really what makes Ed Wood's movies work for me. The fact that he he thought he had this poetry boiling inside him. And it comes out in Criswell's address. And it comes out whenever the aliens are talking. I mean, he just... He had this nutty notion of what the sort of florid, dramatic speech is. And no human being has ever spoken that way. So it it's easier to look at his movies and laugh because you don't feel like you're laughing at some person's misfortune. You're looking at characters that are as artificial as, you know, Commedia dell'arte archetypes. And also, I think another reason why I, well, the main reason why I refuse to give The Room or Birdemic a second chance is because both Tommy Wiseau and James Gian, sorry, I'm pulling old ass jam jokes out of my ass again. <laughs> they originally said they were making serious films, but as soon as the audiences took it as so bad, it's good. They said, oh, no, that's what we really meant. That really just pisses me off to all no, to, to no end. Fuck you. Right. And to a certain extent, that makes me much less sympathetic to their films because, okay, 
these guys are survivors with, if not a great deal of self-awareness, enough sense of where the commercial possibilities lie that they're willing to misrepresent their work. Ed Wood drank himself to death and cried nightly Mm -hmm. because people laughed at his movies. Mm -hmm. He always tried his damnedest to deliver these big dramatic moments and and these old Hollywood-style classic pictures that he grew up on and that he loved. When I look at Birdemic, which frankly is is such a repetitive tedious mess it is impossible you remember, you remember the ass jam that film physically hurt us it, it physically hurt. Were, that wasn't a joke yeah and uh, it warned me off of it the only time i've ever seen it is with the you saw the rift tracks right yeah it's which is like watching it through a welding hood you know, yes it's, it's, there's a certain protective layer and even then, the tedium and the, re- the repetition of the script and the editing was hard to get through as as funny as they found the jokes Sometimes they were they were no comfort. See, I have not I have not watched the Earth Treks for Birdemic, much like I have not been I have not watched in a long time the MST version of Manos. Seeing the films unriff first, I just I can't do it. Well, you're, yeah, and you're the only one I've ever known who saw Manos before it came out on MST. I mean, it was basically a completely unknown film. But here's the difference between so bad it's good and trying to be good but failing. You watch an Ed Wood movie and you know he wants to be making Mildred Pierce or he wants to be making The Day the Earth Stood Still. And it's not just that he doesn't have the budget to achieve them. I mean, you look at what Edward Ulmer did with on a shoestring with Detour. If the director writer has talent, sometimes they can rise above budgetary limitations. The limitations Ed Wood was trying to surmount had not that much to do with his budget and mostly to do with his talent and the talent of those who were attracted to him and surrounded him and, and formed the core of his stock company. Talent attracts talent. Anti-talent seems to attract anti-talent. But you look at James Wen and you see the way the film's shot. You see what the characters are talking about, how they react, where they go, what they do if they do anything at all. And you think, okay, he's failing to make a good movie or even a tolerable one, but I don't know what kind of movie he was even trying to make. I think what James Wen really wanted to do wasn't to make, even though it was sold this way, as a sort of, you know, Hitchcockian pastiche. I think James Wen, I think his dream was to make FMV cutscenes for 90s era video games. Well, that certainly would explain the special effects. Yeah, exactly. And the acting and the dialogue and what they do. I probably would have enjoyed Birdemic more as an FMV video game in the 90s. Of course, I was doing a hell of a lot of meth in the 90s, too, so that might have helped. Could have been worse. Oh, oh, it could have. It could have. It could have been an over two-hour-long movie. Felt like it was. Instead of just feeling like it. That's the other thing. Edward movies were short because film was expensive. Uh, now now that people can shoot, on, uh, shoot digitally uh, and edit on their iMac at home, there is no practical break on their ambitions. So, oh, and the new they have the, the new like iPhone XXL Pro Ultra Super Mega Crunchy Choco Fudgy phone mm-hmm. has high high quality editing software on the fucking phone. Yeah, and and an effects suite built in. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we're doomed. So, oh, we're doomed. Yeah, no, there's. There's, well, there are many reasons why we're doomed, but that's just a new one. Yeah, I mean, we're not we're not going to to survive the uh, the smorgasbord of content, which which will be served up to us in in a few years. As soon as everybody joins TikTok, have you heard of TikTok? I have. Uh, apparently, it's uh, the latest way the Chinese are spying on us. 
And it is uh, that I, that I did not know. All I knew it was like people making like I think it's like three to five second videos, and that's it. And they just come up like little kernels, and people love this shit. Oh, you know, back in the day, I felt bad about feeling old and grumpy, but now I embrace it because I have no problem saying this is stupid shit. I, I look at TikTok and it's mostly just I, I, I don't want to make a blanket statement about content on TikTok because I've in no way explored it. But I keep seeing uh, mostly young women doing sort of like Snapchatty effects in themselves and and then and doing some something to their voice to make them sound like a squeeze toy for three to five seconds. And I'm thinking, OK, and this cats. And cats. And I'm going, okay, this was, cats. this is for people who felt like those 11 second Vine videos taxed their attention span like Berlin Alexander plots. Like, I like the 11 second thing, but can we get it down to a single digit? No one's going to watch 11 seconds. Wow. A Berlin Alexander plots joke. Nice. I, I feel like the time has come. Topical. We're all about being topical here. <laughs> combine you know ingmar bergman you know wanted to do his own version of that and call it fanny and alexander plots <laughs> another joke that only four people will get but those four are gonna laugh their asses off yeah that's basically our mission statement for this entire fucking show <laughs> which oh that reminds me that reminds me since we are recording what was the country that you said that we were getting a lot of downloads in Denmark. Hello, Denmark. Hello, De hello, Denmark. How are you? Please keep downloading us. We love you. If I knew something in Danish, I, I would say something in Danish, but know that I will be eating a Danish later. Actually, I should I should mention this to John because he uh, worked in uh, Copenhagen. Maybe uh, that's why. Maybe it's just they know John. That's, it could be. He may have a fan base. John could be John could be a cult hero in Denmark. That would be hilarious. Is uh, it John Zur or is it us? Please let us know. And uh, if you can, please send some liver poche dye. Sure. But we know you're there and we welcome you. And, and, and thanks for listening and all that fun stuff. Now let's go back to bitching. <laughs> <laughs> Presumably that's what the Danes are here for. We had our nice moment. Now it's back to shit. Actually, no, it's not. I watched, speaking of Bela Lugosi, that was, I was going to bring this up earlier, but we were having fun. I watched a wonderful, wonderful thing on, believe it or not, YouTube on Halloween night. What? A lost episode of the Red Skelton show, coincidentally, the one that they actually used in the movie Ed Wood, featuring Bela Lugosi and Lon Chaney. Oh, really? They finally found the whole episode and, and Vampira, and it is up on the YouTubes. And um, the other half of the brain and I, both being Red Skelton fans, were like, ooh, we need to watch this. The two best takeaways from the entire thing. One, watching Red Skelton uh, break Bela Lugosi. He made Bela break? He breaks Bela. And it's a, it is a true joy to watch. But the other thing is you can tell both of them are having so much fun doing this. I mean, we made this joke in the uh, Spider Baby riff, but I will say it again. I am pretty damn sure Chaney was, was completely sober when he performed. I had no idea the uh, Red Skelton show taped that early in the day. <laughs> I, I, I'm... Pretty sure he was because he gives a phenomenal performance and he's fucking hysterical. There's even a moment when he and he and Red Skelton are trying to cut each other up. Oh, I've got to see this. It's a it's a little moment. It's there briefly, but it is hysterical. And also speaking of 
uh, Vampira, considering she never speaks in the Ed Wood films. It's very interesting to hear her talk to Red Skelton. She was very verbal on her show. She was she was the first horror host, and she talked to Blue Streak. She is not at all this sort of sinister, wraith-like, silent figure that people who've only seen her in Plan 9 I think she is. She was a comedian. Her show was funny. And she's actually, she is, and she is very, I, I, I've never seen her show. So, I mean, this is the first time, honestly, that I've seen her talk, watching her seduce uh, Clem Cadiddlehopper. Oh. And it, it was apparently the first season finale. We've seen a bunch of the show. We've got a bunch of the lost episodes. We've watched a lot of Red Skelton, and we, I didn't, and I completely forgot about this episode. And it, it popped up on my Google News feed as like the episode that was lost. And yeah, Larry Kazarinsky and what's his name, the guys that also wrote Dolomite is my name, which Sweet Prom, fuck, that's an awesome movie. Yeah, don't. Um, we'll talk about that. But I have not. I was waiting till Mary got back from she was out of town to to see it. So I haven't seen it yet. We will wait. All I will say is I thoroughly enjoyed it. Good. Excellent. That usually means I will, too. You can tell that it was written by the same guys that wrote Ed Wood. It has that same vibe. They had, didn't even get to screen. They didn't get to watch that episode of uh, Red Skelton when they were doing Ed Wood because they couldn't find it. I wonder where it turned up. That I do not know. I, like I said, the other half of the brain came over, and I'm like, oh, we, we got to watch this Red Skelton piece. And oh, dear. Yeah, we actually had to rewind it just to watch Bale Lugosi break. We had to make sure that was actually happening. And then it was, wow. And then, yeah, just watching Lon Chaney Jr. having fun. It's a nice thing. Yeah, and, and it, it's not like he was on pot. I mean, it must have been legitimately funny what was going on, because very few people get the giggles on morphine. Uh, really really but i mean and yet you can tell bail lugosi was having a field day i mean it's, it's yeah you need to watch this especially at the end the very end of the sketch when um everything's kind of just going to hell in a handbasket and i mean that in the proper way it's a beautiful thing to watch he is if indeed if indeed he was on at that time he was he was enjoying the ride if you know what i mean and i think you do but i really kind of hope he like lon was completely sober on this because they were just having too much fun i want to believe that looking at wikipedia red skeleton show was on from 1951 to 1971 51 bella could still get himself together to work and and the thing i love about those early television shows is they are very under rehearsed and they yep they were all live and they were made by a lot of people who had who had done radio and they all have the feeling of radio shows where you're just in the audience because with old time radio they would just come into the studio and sometimes the talent hadn't even seen the script and they would just stand at the microphone script in hand and read away uh now they're having to read off cue cards in the television shows but it still has that same loose quality and there were still a lot of uh, if you look at kinescopes of the early sketch shows the colgate comedy hour and red skelton Texaco Star Theater. Uh, there was a ton of ad-libbing going on. Oh, Red Skelton was a fucking master when it came to that shit. Like, that's the one thing that I got from, like, like I watched a ton of Red Skelton with Walter, and it's, it's, he, he was just, he was brilliant. He was a brilliant ad-libber. I, I have to admit that I used to hate Red Skelton because when I was a kid, it was something I had to watch. He seemed so insufferably pleased with himself. Just it seemed sort of condescending. And why okay. does anyone think this guy is funny? At least everyone admitted that Ed Sullivan was a stiff and not fun to watch. He was just the price you had to pay to see Topo Gijo. And then I saw some of his movies from the 40s. I go, oh, OK, now I get it. I think the show over its 20 year run, the formula kind of hardened and it 
it just kind of wound its way up its own ass gradually, as everything does. The last no, absolutely. Enough. When you're on for that long, yes. But I'm sure the early shows ha- had an anarchic feel to them that would appeal to me now. Like I have not seen a lot of the later shows. Like uh, we watched a uh, color and it very much has a, a Marx Brothers feel of anarchy to it. Yeah, that got lost as he aged and his writers aged and his audience aged. Indeed. But this episode, I, I highly recommend. It is on the YouTubes. All I got to type in is Red Skelton, Bale Lugosi, and Lon Chaney Vampira, or any any uh, variation of that, and it should pop up. All right, so anything you want to throw out before we get to the thing? Uh, no, I want to get to the thing. Okay, so yeah, we have a thing, and it's appropriate that I, I began the this episode with a little dig about daylight savings time, wasn't it? <laughs> because we're talking about time, or time travel, or waste of time. That's right, folks. There's a new Terminator, supposedly a new Terminator trilogy of James Cameron has his way. And whether we like it or not, he usually seems to get it since we are going to be getting 18 more fucking Avatar movies. But uh, yeah, Terminator Dark Fate is an attempt to reboot the franchise yet again after the three other reboots that they have tried and mercilessly failed. Now, before we get to Dark Fate, I just got to say, as much as I didn't like the movie, I love the ending of uh, Rise of the Machines. I absolutely love that ending because it was like, okay, we promised Judgment Day. We're going to fucking give you Judgment Day. I I gave them respect for ending with the destruction of all ending the film with the destruction of all life. You know how I feel about killing uh, the film, killing off its major cast here. They killed off most of the world. So in that respect, I was like, good for you guys. Judging by the box office returns, they killed off the audience, too. Indeed. And then, you know, the less said about salvation and gen- yeesus, the better. But they know they brought back James Cameron, yay. And they brought back Arnold Schwarzenegger, yay. And they brought back Linda Hamilton, yay, yay. And this is much like last year's Halloween. It's saying ignore everything else that has gone before. And this is a direct sequel to the original. Original two, well, that's the original, but two Terminator two, at least until the opening credits. Yeah, let me <laughs> let, let let me just say before we go any further that we are going to spoil the crap out of this. So if you haven't seen it, yeah, just yeah. Turn, turn the show off now. Come um, back if you decide, or if you want to go see Terminator Dark 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 Genesis Dark Fate Dark Justice No Dark. Uh, Darkwing Duck, no. Uh, Batman versus Terminator, Dawn of Salvation, whatever the hell it's called. <laughs> yeah, turn it off now because we're, we are we are going to spoil all of the important things that need spoil. Now in three, two, one. Now I actually saw this before Scott. I have my opinions, but I really want to know right off the bat. And we have not talked about the film. This is the first time that we are actually talking about this. So Scott, what'd you think? <laughs> Okay. Uh, I have not read a tremendous amount about it. I I wasn't really even intending to go see it because most of the other ones since Judgment Day I've caught on cable. And deservedly so. Yeah, I've heard a few people squealing and squawking about how it wipes the slate clean of all the other films. And some people are upset about that. Some people are, are relieved. I'll just be frank. I 
don't give a shit about the Terminator mythos. I therefore don't care that this wipes out all the films in the franchise except the first two. And even yep. there, it makes Judgment Day, it makes Judgment Day, which is arguably the best film in the series, a pointless exercise in futility. But I will say this, the whole movie makes no sense um, in that its only point was to make money and it's making no money. So therefore it makes no sense. And I'll just say this, as far as why can't somebody figure out how to exploit this deeply rich mythos? It's not. And I can't remember who said this. It's like if somebody had told them in 1984 that there was going to be a series of sequels to Terminator, he would have laughed in their face. Because it's like, what? Are, are they going to send back another robot from the future and try to kill her slightly later in her life? Or are they going to send back another one after that and try to kill the kid after she's successfully given birth? I mean, how many robots from the future? I mean, basically, hadn't the humans taken over Skynet and the Terminator they sent into the past was a sort of last-ditch, fail-safe effort? It doesn't matter that you have time travel to play with. You, you have two fixed points in time and... It makes no sense. Well, here's how you get around that, apparently. You don't worry that Skynet's been eliminated because um, Skynet is not important anymore. Now it's Legion. And the only problem with that is that Legion is just Skynet that's hired a corporate rebranding specialist. Still uses Terminators. Uses Terminators, uses the same technology, uses time travel. Basically, it's the exact same thing, but they've been rebranded for the future, or rather for the past. Or for the new, or for or for reinvigorated audiences, hopefully, supposedly. <laughs> yeah. Not really. And I will say this too, I hate the new Terminator FX. I liked the old liquid metal effect, the silvery, semi-fluid substance that flowed like mercury. Now, this guy looks like a puddle of black, sentient, evil crude oil, which to me seems less like a killer robot from the future and more like a refreshingly honest ExxonMobil mascot. <laughs> now, the thing that got me now a lot... First off, I just got to say, okay, fuck you to all the people who were saying woke means broke and how this just now how this destroys the franchise. It's the same people who are still bitching about The Last Jedi and they can go take a flying fuck off a short pier. This this film isn't failing because it's woke. It's failing because it's kind of a bad film. Okay, there's no kind of about it. And I don't understand why some people are saying, you know, it's reinvigorated the franchise. Some people are saying, this is the best film since Terminator 2. And granted, that's not saying much, but they're acting like it's this huge thing. Now, what's really pissing people off, what is totally pissing people off is, spoiler, the death of John Connor. Oh, that made me laugh so hard. Oh, my God, I felt so bad for Edward Furlong. He's now going to go down in history as not a child actor who had his moment and then passed from the scene. He's going to go down as a Jeopardy question. He's going to go down as a trivia category. Worst cameo in a motion, most humiliating cameo in a major motion picture. It's like he doesn't get a line. He just gets a bullet in the face. It, It was like so insulting that I couldn't even be irked. I just laughed and laughed. Oh, the and laughter. He, and the thing that got me about it, the thing that got me about that was as as the film goes on and we see, you know, you know, grumpy grandma Sarah Connor, all I kept thinking was there was no reason that he had to die. 
There literally, there, there was no reason to kill the character. In fact, I, th- I, I'm sitting there thinking it would have been ten times more interesting to like hear from the leader of the resistance who now has no war to fight. He's become pointless. Yes, that, that, that could have been an interesting story. Which, which explains why they didn't do it in this one. And I mean, it would have been kind of fun to see mother and son fighting the fighting the Goo Terminator, the Goominator, and fighting each other because their their yes. whole lives their whole lives were spent preparing for this future that they themselves prevented. And just like Arnold's retired Terminator that we meet two thirds uh, of the way through the film, they made themselves obsolete. I would have loved to yes. have seen that because not only would they have been these characters born into a time and yet out of their own time because they fucked with time. I bet by this point, after 20 years of just driving around, and she's going like, well, I'm never going to have grandkids. And, you know, all right, get off my back, mom. And he's like, did you take your insurer? Shut up, I'm killing things. But here's the reason that we, we couldn't get that. Because there's two moments in the movie. One that made me roll my eyes. One that made me roll my eyes. Grace, the cyborg heroine, is giving us some backstory. And Sarah cuts in and going, ah, oh, wait, let me guess. And she's going to give birth to the only man who can save the future. Oh, God. And I'm going like, well, your disgust and impatience speaks for all of us, Linda. Thank you. Then later in the film, we find out, no, she's not going to give birth to the savior. She is the savior. And Linda, God lover, is saddled with the line, she's John. And then just because we might not get it or we might still have a spark of resistance left in us, she beats us over the head with it again. She's John. I'm like, Jesus. All right. So that's why I guess that's why John's not there. Of course, if John had been there, he could have gone, she's me. She's me. Forget about me. She's me. And that could have worked just as well. By the way, I just uh, like to say that I enjoyed the actress who played Grace. Uh, Her name is Mackenzie Davis. I know her primarily as the charmingly distracted nerd who was in charge of satellite reconnaissance in The Martian. Okay. okay. Now, most people were excited about her being in this because I guess they know her from a show called Halt and Catch Fire. I hear she's good in it, but I've I've never watched it because I, I refuse to watch uh, titles that tell me what to do. <laughs> You're not the boss of me, Halt and Catch Fire. So you never saw Stop or My Mom Will Shoot. I kept going. I kept going right past the theater. Fuck you. Let your mom shoot. Let Estelle Getty try and get a, a solid beat on me with her palsied little fist. <laughs> but, I mean, it, it, above above and beyond that little plot thing that yes. I was going, yeah, the, my biggest problem with the film, and it is unfortunately, I, I while I do not blame the mm-hmm. MCU for this, the MCU certainly had a hand in it, escalated this. The original Terminator was, you know, was almost an action horror film, but the action was very grounded. You know, it was mostly gunfights, the occasional thing, but you you could almost believe that what was this going on in the film could happen. Terminator 2, well, some people consider to be you know, the, the perfect sequel. I know that this, Godfather 2, meh, and Empire Strikes Back are all in the same. I'm like, all right, I, yeah. I, I can accept that. Yes, exactly. The Terminator was shot in 84 with all the limitations of a low-budget film from that era, and it triumphed beyond that. This thing appeared to have minimal practical effects. And while I'm getting used to the amount of CGI in movies today, that means there's absolutely no excuse for confusion 
in in your sequences and oftentimes i couldn't tell what was going on i mean it's you you can say if a stunt was pulled off at at great risk to life and limb and bank account oh well maybe the camera didn't catch that one part of it we'll just make the best of it we can in editing there's no excuse for that if you're if your entire sequence is constructed inside a computer everything ought to be crystal clear at all times and that was not the case here was that cool i can't tell was that not supposed to happen? Was that was that surprising? I can't tell. So it was not it was not a particularly well shot movie considering they spent almost two hundred million dollars on it. Mm-hmm. To quote the the either maligned or adored, depending on which YouTube person you talk to, CinemaSins, I don't know how many times I said they survived this. It's like they fall out of the sky with, with a malfunctioning parachute, and the girl and grandma are fine. We just would have seen Sarah Connor lying on the ground and just her saying, I think I broke my hip. Keeping with what, what you were saying, yeah, they give her an action hero injury. Exactly. She dislocates her shoulder, but she gets flung across the, the breadth and width of this electric generating plant, slams into a concrete pylon. I'm sorry, grandma's not going to survive that. I can pinch a nerve getting out of bed in the morning. And I haven't spent the last 20 years getting tossed across parking lots by liquid metal. So let me just say this, as long as you brought it up. <sighs> Linda Hamilton was never a great actress. And I do not mean this as a criticism. She was actually on par and, and even slightly above average for a B-movie actress in the original Terminator. But she's Linda Hamilton, not Linda Hunt. And the series has got so solemn and so encrusted with gravitas that... Uh, I think it's reached the point where at times her somewhat rusty B-movie acting chops aren't equal to all the portentousness and, let's be honest, pretentiousness of the film's ever-changing mythos. And, and this was never more evident than at the very end, when Arnold and the Terminator, the, the new one, the Rev-9 or the Rav-4 or whatever fucking car model it was, are laying at the bottom of whatever the hell hole it is. And... Yeah, girl looks horrified and conflicted and torn, but oddly determined. Oh. And she turns away and Linda's staring down there and you go, I, I have no idea what your emotion is. I don't know if you do. I prefer to think you don't because you're not conveying it. I'm going to just assign you randomly an emotion. The random emotion that's come up on the emotion wheel of fortune that goes with your expression, Linda, as you look down at Arnold's body is... Well, shit, I wanted to kill him. Well, we're together now, but when we're done, I'm going to kill you. Uh, yeah. Maybe that was what she was conveyed. I don't know. I understand. I mean, she always had kind of a deep, husky voice, but that, you know, in the first uh, film, it did not in any way impact her vulnerability. But now that she sounds like Harvey Firestein, it just doesn't work. No, I would really love to see her in Torch Song Trilogy. I think she would kill. I'll, 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 I will buy that for a dollar. I mean, it wasn't it wasn't boring. Uh, that That's the worst sin a, a movie can commit is making me glance at my watch. And, and then it, let's spoil the whole end. So we see Grace in the present day. They go track her down when she's 12 years old on a playground. And Danny and uh, Sarah are looking at her through the, the fence. And then they turn back and, and climb into a Jeep. And Danny says, I'm not I'm not going to let her die for me again. And uh, Sarah says, well, then you're going to need to be ready. I'm like, ready for what? What? How are you going to... There's no amount of preparation that can stop her from dying in the past if you send her back to die in the past, which is what 
She said, you did. Plus, it's also kind of hard to take you that seriously because you're driving the Jeep, but the seat is so far forward that I wonder if you can even reach the pedals. I just imagine somebody, like some poor teamster who had to reset for the shot. And you're like, oh, Jesus. You have to push the seat all the way back. She's a 5-1 bundle of savior. Now available for Christmas. I briefly wondered if I would have liked this more had Cameron himself directed it. Then I remembered that I, I haven't liked a film he's made since, what, probably True Lies, which I think was 1994. Titanic just made me titter. Uh, and Avatar was basically, you know, just a, a, a sillier, big-budget remake of that Star Trek, the original series episode, where Kirk goes native with a bunch of uh, extraterrestrial Native Americans. But I suppose uh, Cameron's too busy making uh, Avatar 2 and 3 back-to-back and 4 and 5 have been announced and are in pre-production. So it's probably going to be a while before we have to sit through another one of his uh, directorial efforts. With any luck, they will be released on the same day that the embargo finally lifts on Jerry Lewis's uh, The Day the Clown Cried. So I'll have a scheduling conflict. I'm sorry, James. I have a previous engagement and need to be excused from seeing uh, Avatar 2 and, and probably 3. And then once when he dies, when, when he dies, it'll come out in a 24-hour supercut. Yes, all the Avatar movies. Get them all over with at once and then attribute the resulting cramps to food poisoning and get on with your life. <laughs> it is, as Jeff intimated, it is a waste of time travel and a waste of time. And on that note, we've actually had a concise short episode of the show. Sure. it's never going to happen again. Just like the next sequel in this reboot franchise of the previously rebooted franchise, don't hold your breath. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to us, bitch. Thank you, Denmark, for existing. Um, We will see you soon. We got a little something special planned. As a matter of fact, shall we tell them so they can join along to see if they can find it? Uh, We have something kind of cool coming up next for you. We're going to have the whole new movie crew together, except we're watching an old movie. So it is a new movie for us, even though it came out in the 60s. And if you can find it and want to see it, we are watching. Or if you even have comments about it, send them in. Maybe we'll read them when we record. Robinson Crusoe on Mars. Do you have thoughts about Robinson Crusoe on Mars? You can email them, too. Where can they email them? Slumgullion at AOL.com or leave a comment at the Slumgullion.com on this post. We because gotta make this AOL happen. needs the traffic. And I'm sure some of you have seen Robinson Crusoe on Mars. So please send stuff in. We'll read it. I'll read it in a funny accent. As a matter of fact, for every piece of okay, email that we get, I will do a different funny please. accent. And, 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 I, I may I may pull a, a thing the Screen Drafts is doing with Graham Skipper. Not only will I do a funny accent, but I'll take a shot. So, people, if you have not seen it yet, uh, we'll, we'll post, both Scott and I will post when we're actually recording the thing. So, we'll give you time. To, but if you have seen the film, definitely send us your thoughts so you can hear me read them in funny voices while getting drunk. So, until later, I am Jeff. That is Scott. We are we. You are you. We are all Devo. Later.